0: Today's time of teaching comes from Psalm 2, another of my favorite psalms. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there while you're flipping there. Uh, you know, one of the harder things about living life and doing it well today is that Everything is a political issue these days. Uh, What a baker puts on their cake has been politicized and is a political issue. What the business right over here in the parking lot does is politicized and a political issue. What you wear is political. And now even a worldwide pandemic has become a highly politicized issue that has divided the left and the right even further in our country. Uh, I don't know about you but I look a lot of times at the way politics is run in our country, the way that it's done around the world, the way governments function, and I just want to look up to God and ask why. Like, why is it so crazy? Why is it so hard to navigate? Why is it so hard to live as a Christian in a way that does justice to politics and understands that? Well, the psalm we're going to look at today gives us some hope in the area of politics, and at least gets us started down the road toward Christian maturity in the way that we handle political issues. Let's look at Psalm 2 together. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, this psalm was written about the confidence that Israel's king had when God was with him in battle. And we have from it a picture of the confidence we can place in Jesus Christ, now king of the universe, the true son of David, the true son of God who will come and rule and reign. Now, as we look at I wanna break it down into three sections here. The first, verses one through three, what you're gonna see is just the reality of government throughout the world. Now, the job of a ruler is to rule under God, and bring God's justice to the land so that the people can flourish. People will flourish under the right conditions. And the right condition largely is just justice. Just protect them from evil people who mean harm from them. They have the ingenuity, the ability to work, the ability to prosper in among themselves if they are under a just ruler. And a just ruler is going to be one who looks up to God and says, I rule under you and I do things your way in worship of you. Now, that's what God asks of rulers. That's why he has set up kings and presidents and all sorts of rulers throughout the world. But we see in verses 1 through 3 a glimpse of reality in a fallen and broken world. Not just a glimpse, but a lament over it, a heart weeping over it. And it says, well, here's reality. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Why do the kings set themselves against the Lord like this? The rulers take counsel against the Lord, against his anointed king, that's Jesus, saying let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. The tragic norm of leadership in the world and of government rule worldwide and throughout history is wicked rulership that rebels against God. The rules of earth generally are set against God's anointed ruler, who at that point, as this Psalm was written, was the Davidic king ruling in Jerusalem, and is now Jesus who rules as God's son forever that's hard for us to process. We need to see that and hear that as much as we can because we have been living in one of the few exceptions for much of our lives. Uh, This government here in the West, uh, life here in the West, trains us to have pretty high expectations of our government. Uh, we, kinda, we get taken aback, we get shocked when we see a ruler of ours doing something wicked or plotting against the Lord or trying to take the influence of God out of you know, the school system or the churches or in any of the institutions in the world. When our rulers plot against God, it really shocks us. And the reason it shocks us is, well, it's a good reason. We've been living in one of the few exceptions to the godless rule that has been the norm throughout history. So when that shocks us, when that sometimes leads us into outrage, when we sense our nation slipping into decadence, slipping into godlessness, when we see some of the things that our rulers and leaders are up to, we've got to look at this psalm and be reminded uh, that's normal. Welcome to reality is what the psalm is saying to us. And then not only that, but it gives us a voice to look up to God and cry out to him and ask, God, why is it like that? Why does the Chinese Communist Party continue to oppress the largest group of people on earth, God? Why? Why does Kim Jong-un in North Korea, why is he able to go on and on hurting his own people like this? Why is Russia ruled the way it is? Why are there people in our own nation who are trying to send it a terrible direction? God, we have a voice for those questions. And we know now the right way to respond because we can see it right here in these verses. So first thing you can do then is when your heart is sent that direction of shock, at what's going on, what the rulers of earth are doing, what people in the Democratic Party are doing, what some people in the Republican Party are doing to turn their parties against the Lord's influence. When you are shocked at that, you can look right here for words to say. Now that's particularly tough for us. One reason that's really difficult for us is that on one hand it's normal to have some sense of exasperation like we should recognize that bad leadership, bad kingship, bad ruling isn't the way God designed it. So there's a good natural sense of God why there. But not only that, a lot of leaders here in the United States have figured out that outraged and angry people Well, they vote more often, they tend to give more often, Uh, they tend to be very loyal supporters, they tend to click on more news articles and they'll read the article all the way and watch the video all the way through and then they'll click on the next article. They'll do, in other words, exactly what a lot of leaders want them to do. And so there are many voices out there that are intentionally trying to stir up your sense of anger and outrage at what is going on around you. And they're trying to use it to manipulate you. One thing this psalm can do is help you to guard against that by seeing with honesty what many are doing in the world, but giving you a voice to cry out to God about it instead of exploding in rage and outrage, instead of obsessing over it. So that's what the first few verses do. They give us a voice by which we can cry out to God over what is going on in the world around us. Verses four through nine tell us how God feels about it. Uh, How does God respond to President Xi of the Chinese Communist Party? How does he respond to the leader of North Korea? How does he respond to voices in our own nation who are rebelling against him? Well, the answer might surprise you. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. He will terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, now this is the king speaking, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The Lord does not fret. He has lost no confidence that his anointed son will one day rule all of the earth. He will one day, Jesus will one day ask the Father, may I have the nations now as my inheritance, and the Lord will send them, he will come and break the nations, it says, with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. While we fret while we click on endless clickbait articles on social media and on news websites and and fret over what we see on cable news and look at things that are really going on around the world, while we get stirred up in a panic, the Lord sits in heaven and says to wicked rulers, you guys are hilarious. You guys think you're going to rule forever, and you have forgotten that one day you will meet judgment. Now, these words are written to give comfort to the followers of God, to give comfort to the people of God, that the governors and the powerful people out there, that we have no power to stop, right? I can't go over to China and stop President Xi from doing what he is doing. We have no power to stop these people, but we've got confidence and hope here because God does have this power. And his response is threefold. He, he laughs at them. He will terrify them one day with his words and he will destroy them and conquer them when his son Jesus comes back. There are the keys that change everything in how we look at politics. Now, we don't have to fret about the direction our country ultimately goes because we know we are waiting for a better country. Now, we do still care about the future of our nation for the sake of our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors. We want the best for them, so we use what influence we have to make our nation a better place for those around us, but we don't fret when we see things going away, we don't want to go. We know that if our country goes the worst possible direction, if it is taken over by a horrible foreign government, if all of that happens, it will not stop Jesus from getting to the throne. And so we can engage politics with a quiet confidence that says, I know the Lord will bring his kingdom here. I will do whatever I can to bring a picture of that kingdom now and I will sit back and I will let the Lord take care of the rest. I want us all to be struck by this picture in verse 9. When, the Lord, when Jesus returns to rule, it says all of the nations, he will break them with a rod of iron. It says he will dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. About a week ago, uh, Emily and I were in our home as we are very often these days and as you probably are too. And uh, I went upstairs toward the end of a night and I heard a sound and I came back down and Emily was standing there in the kitchen with a just shattered fragments of glass all over the place it looked like 10 glasses had fallen in our kitchen and it was going all throughout our table in our dining room and just all over the place and she looked at me with just a laughter and, and just said I, I, I dropped a glass like she had dropped one glass on the floor and the thing had shattered into so many pieces that you could not recognize what the original shape of this glass was just fragments strewn about like the stars in the sky all over our floor and uh, you know she knows as many of you do that I was a waiter for a long time and as you might guess when I was a waiter uh, I broke my share of glasses and I got scolded plenty of times by managers for how often I broke glass and how much damage I did to the company. Uh, I know what a broken glass looks like and she knows that and I looked down and I said Babe, I've never seen anybody do work like this on a glass before. I mean, this thing was just all over the place. And so we laughed together about it, and we cleaned it up, uh, got it in the trash can, and everything was just fine. But that picture sticks with me when I read this. And I wonder if you can visualize it, too. I mean, so many fragments of glass that if if I had taken a picture of it and shown it to you, you wouldn't be able to tell what the original shape or size of the glass was. That's what we're looking at when we talk about Jesus coming back, breaking the nations as a potter's vessel, like breaking the nations as a clay pot, breaking them with a rod of iron. Are you ready for nations like China, Russia, the United States, nations all over Africa and South America, are you ready for them to be broken to the degree that you cannot tell which fragment was once the United States and which fragment was once China? Are you ready for the Lord to do this as he brings his good and godly kingdom? And if you are, how would that influence the way you look at our role in society and in politics? i tell you what it does it frees you to seek the good of your neighbors. As the prophet Jeremiah tells the exiles in Babylon, pray for your nation and seek its good, for its good is your good, right? Like we can can pray for the temporary good and flourishing of our neighbors here in the States. We can pray for good government and try to vote good governors and good leaders into office for the sake of those around us. But we're free to do that because our ultimate hope isn't in the prosperity of our nation. It's in the return, of Jesus and the kingdom he will set up on top of it all. So we look then at verses 10 through 12 to see just how we should respond. If we should not fret, if we should limit to God, why is it like this? And then not fret because he's sending his son to rule and reign as king. Uh, What do we do in response? Well, here is what we say in response. Verse 10, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled and blessed are all who take refuge in him. The right way to respond is to call our rulers, our governors, and even our neighbors To turn and follow the King who is coming. For every ruler out there who devises schemes against God's authority, if they are still alive, there is time for them to turn and follow Jesus. There is time for them to worship the Lord, the, the Lord it says here, with fear and rejoice with trembling, to bless and kiss the Son of God, Jesus Christ, lest he'd be angry and they perish. And so our role then is to turn with a prophetic voice to our government and not become unruly, not become difficult to lead, not be an easy people to lead, people who are friends with our governors, who our governors develop affection for because we're so good to them, so that then we have credibility and an audience to call them and say there is time to turn. There's time to come back and follow Jesus so that you can rule with him, under him in the kingdom he sets up. That's the voice we need to be speaking to our governors. It shouldn't be one of outrage. It should be one of pleading that they might come back and turn to him. We can focus on calling rulers and everyone to Jesus and praying that rulers and everyone will turn to Jesus. That is why the New Testament calls us to pray for rulers and to obey them why because there is still time that they may turn and follow Jesus and as long as there is time we will call them to and we will pray for them now i wonder if we look at this if if you can sense this picture of Jesus coming back ruling as king breaking every nation that refuses to follow him into pieces with a rod of iron like a clay pot, just shattering the nations. If you see that, I wonder if that impresses you deeply with your own rebellion against God, with, with just how great our refusal to live and, and worship in Jesus' ways truly is. Like are we looking to him and saying, he's going to come back and He cares that I haven't been living in His ways under His authority. I wonder if you're impressed deeply with that. I pray that many of us are. If you are, the word that we want to proclaim to kings is true for you as well. There is time to turn and to come back to him. Let me tell you the way that he is made, the way that he has made, so that you can turn from this rebellion against him, this refusal to live in his ways under his kingship, and still follow him as king, receiving forgiveness, receiving a spot in his kingdom, coming kingdom and a flourishing reign there forever. How can you receive that? Well, there was once a sign that hung above a cross that said the king of the Jews, and it hung above a bloody and crucified king named Jesus, the same Jesus that I'm talking about. The one who comes back and reigns like a lion was also the one who bled and died as a lamb. This is the the wonderful wisdom of God, he would ordain it this way. That same one who comes to rule you also once came to die for you in your place. And by the death that he suffered on that cross, if you would trust him, turn from your sin and follow him, he would, he would cause that death death to count as payment for every act of rebellion you have ever committed, every rebellious thought you have ever had against his kingship, that death would pay for them all. And when he comes back, you'll instead find your king and your Lord in whose name you would rejoice to rule under, rather than the one whom the Lord laughs at the one to whom you would be spoken in got to in God's wrath, terrified in his fury. Rather than that, you can kiss the Son, Jesus Christ, on his return and welcome him. So I call you, while there is time, turn from your rebellion and follow Jesus Christ.